All right, we're back. You're going to hear noise in the background with my wonderful daughter, Navy. I'm on with my cousin's husband, Brian, from Minnesota, so it's not really South Dakota related. I'll call my cousin a lot. Navy quit. Anyways, right off the bat. So I wanted to do a podcast, and this one's a little different. Talk a lot about hunting. Talk a lot about ice fishing, but those guys still hunt that. This, this is my cousin's husband, Brian, and he is like, I'll call it the fisherman mecca. So the agenda I've got is Brian's open water uh, season is hard water season some of his tips and techniques for different species because he fishes for stuff that's different his dream tip and then some closing comments but first brian i don't even say people's last names or jobs or whatever i allow them to introduce themselves with whatever they want sure. i'll let you introduce yourself yeah well thanks for having me on uh this is actually this is the first hunting only podcast i've been on i've been on a few fishing podcasts so this is new cool um so yeah uh, brian reesgraf uh i live out in just north of minneapolis uh, you know, my fishing background is I've been, you know, a bass fisherman since I was 15, uh, probably about 14, 15. I grew up around it. My, my, my grandpa owned some property around a lake up in northern Minnesota, a little town called Finlayson. And I had a lot of memories as a kid uh, bass fishing with my dad and my grandpa. And, you know, they, 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 he had property on a lake. It was like a it was fairly, it was like more like a big pond. Yeah. And uh, my dad and grandpa in like the 80s were throwing topwater frogs and plastics and, you know, artificial lures for bass because this particular lake that my grandpa owned this property around had just a really good bass fishery. It was, and nobody touched it. It was like one of those lakes you kind of dream about where there's no boat ramp. You know, they used little tin boats and, you know, yeah. it, was, it was not accessible by the public and the fishing was just bonkers. Well, that's so, weird. So well, I mean, up, go ahead. Sorry. A little delay. We're doing yeah. remote. Yeah, that was fine. It's just yeah. So I grew up around that and grew up and thinking bass fishing was cool because that's what you know my dad, and my grandpa did at the at the Finlayson cabin. And so you know as as I got older, you know it's in the in the 90s to learn about bass fishing you had to read magazines yeah. or get VHS tapes or watch the you know Sunday morning fishing <laughs> shows that were on whatever cable channel you could find. Phil Dance and Jimmy Houston. <laughs> Right, yeah. Just even, well, even the, those are like the good national ones, but even there was a lot of like weird local ones, like in fishermen, like the. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Linders and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I used to watch the shit out of Linders, uh, Linders videos and all those, and yeah. So I was like, I, you know, when I was a teenager, I was like trying to get all this information and learn more, and and, uh, and then the internet, you know, came around, and now you can, you know, now you can learn more about fishing in a weekend than I learned for years. <laughs> Well, that's what I was trying to say. Sorry again for a little bit of delay, but like, we go, we have a, we go camping together. Called it's cousins camp, and Brian goes fishing all the time. It's a blast. I've actually never even gone with them, and that because I'm off meandering or drinking beer or chasing kids or whatever. But like, I of all the times we've sat around the campfire and that, I mean, like that was my one thing I was going to ask. I had no clue what how you got into bass fishing because I mean, you know, like I mean, I just. You know, it's northern Minnesota, that kind of stuff. Go ice fishing, right. Lake of the Woods. It's 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 walleyes and that. So I had no clue that's what it is. And that's funny you bring it up. That's how I got into duck hunting was up Layton's place. You know, Layton was my late grandfather that of Evie and I. So Brian know, knew who he was. But yeah, the only reason I fell in love with that is because we had a spot and we always went. That's awesome. I had no idea that's how you how you got into it. Yeah, I just have a lot of childhood memories of going out in a canoe with my dad and, yeah. you know, throwing a little topwater spook or a frog around and catching these, in my opinion, they were huge. I mean, they might have been small, but when I was a kid, I was like, oh, you know, bass fishing's cool, it's fun. And then, uh, you know, in high school, I, 
you know, I'm 40 now, but back in high school, I lived in Shakopee, Minnesota. Yep, yeah. Which is uh, down on the Minnesota River. And so, you know, bass fishing wasn't always available because I didn't, you know, I didn't have a boat. And I yeah. go out with other people who had boats. And, uh, and there was not a lot of lakes nearby. So there was actually this phase in my high school days where we would just go down and river fish. So, Did you, so like, like were you catfishing then, kind of, or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We would go down. We would... There's a sports shop. There, there's a little tackle shop down in the in downtown Shakopee that would sell live bait, and we would go down and go into the freezer and take all the old live bait. So they take the, the the bait that died and throw it in the freezer, and then you could get it for cheap. It was like a, two bucks for a big block of it. And then uh, so we would go down to the the shoreline and just catfish and carpfish all day long during the summer. You know, in Shakopee, just because we had you know nothing else to do when you're 15 you don't have money you don't have a girlfriend you just go down and, and river fish all day and so I, I got into that for a while too that's awesome so that's something like uh, I never got into it but like I was living with these guys from northeast South Dakota and this sidebar these are the best ones it feels like you know when you just get to chatting but um those guys would like go to this like I think it was honestly a borrow pit you know a gravel pit that they were using for roads and that but it was around Brookings and they'd throw stink baits, and they'd catch catfish all the time. And they'd scrape that, like, you know, that yellowish fat and that stuff. And, man, we'd have fish fries, and they were awesome. I remember that. You know what I mean? You always hear, too, warm water, cold water, all that good stuff. But, you know, I've never I've, – everyone I've ever caught was on accident, it feels like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the bass fishing culture nowadays is really shifted. It's, 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 it's interesting because, like, bass fishing right now it, – it, it, you know, there's more options than ever for tournament fishing. Tournaments yeah. really popped off. You know, high school tournament fishing is just blowing up across the country. So many teenagers now are really getting into it. And you know, the, the Minnesota State High School Championship, which was last fall, mm -hmm. uh, I think they had 170 boats. Really? Where was that at? Yeah. Uh, it was on Lake Pelican. Okay. In Orr, Minnesota. Okay. They had the state championship. And you know how I know they had the state championship on that lake? Because me and some of my buddies, we go to Orr every single fall, yeah. and uh, we happened to book our cabin, we, we booked a cabin, and there were six of us with three boats, and all of a sudden we noticed there's all these bass boats out on the Thursday. So we got up there on a Thursday, and it's like, where are these, why are all these bass boats here? And then on Friday, there's about four times as many bass boats. And I go, there's a tournament this weekend, isn't there? And the guy's like, oh yeah, state high school championship. Oh, That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Like, oh, we picked up wrong weekend they go but uh but yeah so again with the internet you know the internet's exciting everything nowadays bait or technique you want to lose or learn there's you know deep dive videos on youtube for all this stuff so you, you can really accelerate your learning curve if you're going to get into really i mean not just bass fishing but any of the any of the fishing hobbies you know the the, the access to information is so amazing it's like you know i can i can learn a random technique that I may have never heard about, watch a couple of videos on it, and have a pretty good understanding of how to actually like go and execute it in the real world. And uh, you know, it's just it's just made it's made the whole hobby a lot more fun the internet has. Yeah, so like it kind of segues in there. So going into that, like this year's open water season, especially like with all the COVID stuff and on and off and stuff was closing and then opening and I know we did our camping trip and all that stuff together and that did you how do I say it's best did you really get out a lot I mean it's, it feels oh, yeah. like you could almost got out more because everything else was closed you know yeah the boat ramps were busy this last summer were they that's for sure 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, it, across the industry. So I actually like I, I, I read and I read and listen to a lot about like the fishing industry and like what's going on. And um, I have a couple buddies that are professional bass tournament fishermen. Like oh, really? actually do that for a living. Um, and I hear a lot from them and they go, you know, that what happened last year was a perfect storm of, um, like you said, everything being closed down. It, it, it removed a lot of like opportunities to go out and entertain yourself on the weekends, right? Yeah. You can't go to a baseball game. You can't go to the bar. You can't, um, you know, all you know, sports were all kind of paused. And so you had a lot of people kind of sitting around scratching their heads what to do. And, and, uh, boat sales were amazing last year. People yeah. went out and bought boats, uh, you know, all the lakes, like, a couple of the lakes around here, we I, I fish in a tournament league that fishes on Wednesdays. Oh yeah, and we act yeah we actually had to move one of our tournaments because one of the lakes we always fished on Wednesdays. The parking ramp was always open, like we'd have plenty of spots to put boats. Yeah. And we scouted it the Wednesday before our tournament, and at one o'clock the ramp was full. Like there was not oh, a single parking shit. spot. Like I'm just saying, like everybody got out. Like people were people were going getting crunk on the lakes. Like whether it was pleasure boating or fishing, it's just the the amount of boat traffic on all the lakes around here just went, you know, like two, two or three X, you know, this last summer. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting to see so many people out all the time. It, so it was busy were you, dude, when you like went out in this summer and that just on your different trips and were you always bass fishing or you ever just go out for eater walleyes or crappies or anything like that? Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I like, I actually really like pan fishing. Um, yeah. you know, Cole, my son Cole, he likes it. So, yeah. um, when we go out, when I take the kids out, yeah, we, we, I don't typically bass fish too much. I, we go out and target crappies or bluegills. Yeah. Um, you know, around in the Twin Cities Metro, we don't have very good walleye lakes around here. They're terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is a lot of the lakes in the Twin Cities, like if you take a, if you draw, if you go to Minneapolis and you draw an hour and a half circle, like a radius, yeah. all of the lakes around there, none of the walleye populations are, are self-maintaining. They don't spawn, they don't reproduce in these lakes, yeah. so they're all stocked. Now, some lakes um, are fully stocked by the DNR, and the, the fishing pressure a lot of those lakes get for walleye it really dwindles the populations. Yeah. Um, and so catching them is, you know, it's like a, it's a bonus. Like, oh, if you go out and get one, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but then there's certain lakes like Minnetonka where they have a lot of money and they do their own private stocking on top of the DNR. And then, but and those lakes actually be really good walleye fishing. So like Minnetonka, people have been catching really great walleyes out of that lake in the last couple of years. And, uh, that's cool. You know, and that, well, that's just a byproduct of the, the income level on that lake. Yeah. Well, you uh, know that. There's yeah, not so, exactly uh, any shanties i remember when i was eight years old fishing with my my uncle woody who lived in bloomington up on minnetonka and we weren't walleye fishing or anything like that but i mean that was back in the you know 85 you know that kind of thing when like people had cabins still on minnetonka you know i mean shanties all that good stuff i remember that was the best crappie fishing i've ever been a part of in my life it was awesome Minnetonka is probably one of the best diverse fisheries in the metro in the huh. Twin Cities here. Um, well, Minnetonka is a special lake because it has trophy muskie. Like, it's a really great muskie fishery. Really? Uh, yeah, there's giant muskies in that lake. Didn't uh, even know. There's smallmouth and largemouth bass. There's really great panfish. I actually went out ice fishing in Minnetonka uh, a couple times this um, this winter, and yeah. the panfish quality was really nice. Like, big, big bluegills and stuff. And, uh, and it's got a ton of walleye because the people who live on that lake pay 
private companies to come in and stock it. So it's just, it's a really great fishery. The downside with Tonka is the, it's like the 35W of boat traffic on the weekends. Yeah. Like if you get out there and you're in a boat that's smaller than 19 feet, uh, you're going to have a bad time uh, because Minnetonka is a very wealthy lake and there's a lot of large boats and there's a lot of wake boats. Uh-huh. Uh, so you so you get in the bays and you're fishing, you know, the shoreline for bass or crappies or whatever. And, and if there's one or two wake boats in that bay at the time, you're just <laughs> your day's gonna not be all that fun. Yeah, I mean, and I'm one of these guys where it's like I try and do that happy medium stuff where. You know, there's certain guys, I got friends of them that they're like, you know, maybe it's that public land thing I always talk about, you know, here in South Dakota, we have, I think a good amount, but like, you know, get off the lake and like, they got just as much right to be there too. But at the same time, I'm also one of these guys, same as you said, it sucks though. (laughs) You know, it's like you're going elk hunting in Colorado and you got a hiker smoking weed at the same place you're trying to shoot a bull, you know? good fishing experience on Tonka, you got to have like about a 20 foot fiberglass rig, like a, a, a decent stable fiberglass boat. And you want to go out during the week. Yeah. Really early in the morning on the weekends. I've been out on Tonka at like 7am on a Friday and it's like magical. Like it's so nice. It's, yeah. You know, the fishing's good. And then about noon is when all of the, <laughs> all of the jet skis and the wake boats yeah. and, the, and the cabin cruisers and all the big boats come out. And then it's like, all right, I'm probably just going to go one o'clock <laughs> i don't even know but like no, so, go ahead you were saying something go ahead oh i was just gonna say but you know but but here my point was is if you start venturing north though and you start going basically two hours plus out of the twin cities radius then you can get into some amazing fishing I yeah mean, if you go up into like the brainerd lakes area yeah um or you go around Malax, or you get up to like lake vermilion or even you go even further north up to like Capitogama and uh, get closer to Rainy. I mean, all of those fisheries have amazing walleye fishing. So my point is like, if you live in the Twin Cities and you're willing to hit the road and drive a couple hours, you can get a completely different fishing experience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I don't like, I bought an auger. I haven't even used it. I bought it last year. Well, this year was terrible in South Dakota for ice. It was so much cold and hot and cold and hot. I mean, we have people with vehicles going through on places that don't have vehicles going through, if you know what I mean. And so, I mean, either way, my point is, so all I ever did is I went to, I actually went twice to Lake the Woods, once with some work friends, and then those guys from Montevideo I grew up with and had a blast. Next year, you know, and I'm getting into the hard water, which I should say, wait, oh, I'll stay in the open water. Did you guys have any other wild open water experiences that you want to talk about this last summer? Then we can go yeah, so that, well, this last summer, what was cool is um, we so we we did a conscious decision to put our camper into oh, a yeah, seasonal right. place in Wisconsin. So um, the, the the nice thing being in the Twin Cities is you can you know drive an hour, two, three hours, and go into Wisconsin, and there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff over there. So we put a camper over in Northwest Wisconsin outside of Spooner. And uh, so I use that as kind of a weekend base camp to go and explore a lot of the northern Wisconsin lakes, yeah. which are, are very unique um, compared to Minnesota lakes because of the, just almost simply the water quality. Yeah. Like you fish the lakes in like northwest Wisconsin, and they're all just gin clear, yeah. tons, of, tons of natural 
um, vegetation. They don't have a lot of invasive species. I mean, you're you're not finding many invasive species in any of the lakes around there. And uh, but they just don't. The lakes don't get much pressure. Uh, you know, you can. I'll have my bass boat on on some lakes, and I'll be the only bass boat on the lake for all day. Yeah, you know I mean? absolutely. Guys out there, guys out in their crest liners and their lumicrafts and their tin boats, and then you know, uh, it's just uh, it's a whole different experience. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of blessed in this area to have all these really cool fisheries you can drive to without hopping on a plane. I mean, you know, we got Mille Lacs just north of the cities. That's only about an hour and a half drive, and that's one of the best fisheries on the planet. Yeah, especially yeah. Walleye. Um, you know, walleye and smallmouth, you can't, you can't top Mille Lacs. I mean, it's one of the best in the world. It, it's, and, uh, it, it was rough there. We were up there, I mean, this a long time ago for that ice fish trip. It was rough, but I don't know, man. I see a lot of nice, lot of nice fish and pictures off Mille Lacs the last two years. Yeah, ice fishing Mille Lacs is a whole different beast because that lake gets a lot of ice pressure. Like, I was out there, a buddy of mine was out there a couple weeks ago, and I went and hung out with him. And, and you drive on that lake, it looks like cities out there. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's 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 like the amount of people that stack up on spots, and there's just so much pressure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I, I prefer to fish Mille Lacs on open water um, because you can, you know, you got that mobility of being able to move around the lake. And, Absolutely. But Mille Lacs, the Lax is one of those lakes that it's really controversial up here. People, uh, you know, they've had a walleye restriction on the Lax for several years now, where you can't really, you can't keep any fish. Um, you know, for for eating, you can they, they allow some fish in the ice season. Yeah. Uh, there's a slot where you can like keep one, but during so open water, they don't let you. Catch, you have to catch and release all walleye. Is it? I, I don't even know the rules. I knew it was like you could keep something that would like feed a person when you can keep them. You know, basically that kind of thing. Like right, yeah. So during the ice season, they let you keep one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's in a slot. And then, but the open water season, it's all catch and release. And the reason they're doing that is because Malax has a an abundance of trophy fish. Like if you want to go out and catch. 22 plus inch walleye you can do that all day in Mille Lacs. they're everywhere that's crazy uh, the thing they're trying to protect is that smaller class of fish uh that like 12 to 17 inch walleye on the lax is actually fairly rare um i've i've been fishing the lax pretty pretty heavily for the last two years and i can count on one hand how many fish under 14 inches i've caught like walleyes like the, the small walleye is just they're they're not that common on them like there's a lot of big ones uh, so they're trying to protect those younger classes and let them, you know, grow up and, you know, they're trying to just bolster that next, that next couple generations of guys in that way. Well, I hear a lot of people talk about it. Here's my rule, whether it's about like, you know, mule deer is a controversial thing here in South Dakota, but like fishing wise, I remember I came out here in like Oahe, which is north of the dam up here, you could keep like eight fish under, I don't know, 14 inches or something like that. And everybody's like, that's insane. Well, they were having too much pressure and competition where nothing would grow. And so like, I always hear these people like, they don't know what they're talking about. And I've always said this, like I could never homeschool my kid because I'm not a professional teacher. They went to the training. And so I don't, I, I trust wildlife biologists. Now, when they put right. politics in on it, then I get pissed. I, I get absolutely pissed because I'm like, politics shouldn't have anything to do with it. I'm like, these people you know, went, didn't even go to four-year colleges. They're all masters and PhDs on like how fish grow. I go, I'm going to trust them instead of me going out twice a year, you know? Yeah. The, the big, the big controversy, the controversy with with Malax is always around the industry and the resorts. Oh, absolutely. So Malax, yeah. So Malax is not a like baller lake 
right? It's a pretty like blue cloud, blue collar lake. Yep. The, a lot of the properties around Mille Lacs are fishing shacks and fishing houses. There's not a lot of like, uh, there's not a lot of money in, yeah. the, in the towns. And so they rely a lot on uh, tourism. And so with the walleye restrictions, all the resorts are like, well, if people can't keep walleyes, they're not coming here as vacations. And, you know, that's sort of true. But, you know, they also are selling, you know, they're selling less live bait, they're selling less guide trips, you know, they're, they're, they're having less bookings in the resorts. And so the resort owners are usually the ones that are crying the foul the most over, you know, the, like what you said, the, the smart biologists are saying, this lake needs these restrictions to fix some of the problems in the fish populations. And then the resort owners are like, I've been here 70 years. And... I don't care. Like, you know, yeah, I should say that, too, because I talk a lot of shit about uh, all kinds of things, as you know, <laughs> with COVID and that, too. I do trust science and that stuff, too, and I do think there's a happy medium. But, like, the thing with, like, Malaxes, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm one of these guys. Like, I've got buddies I go duck hunting with. We don't always see eye to eye because they like to shoot mallards. I'm Captain Mixed Bag. So when you go up to Malax, you can catch everything, though, right? Well, yeah, it's a it's a diverse fishery. That's what I mean, though. So I would go up there, and I mean, I I'm one of these guys. Yeah, do I like walleyes? Great. Do I like catching fifteen crappies? Yeah. Do I like perch? Do I like sunnies? Absolutely. So that wouldn't I wouldn't hold back. I know there's certain guys that are after right. walleyes, well, but to me, I wouldn't. You know, I like that stuff. What's boomed on that lake is the smallmouth fishing. Really. So for many years, the Malax was known as a walleye lake yeah. and a walleye fishery. You know, it was like if you want to catch a trophy walleye, Malax is pretty much a slam dunk. Like if you want to get something over 26 inches um, and even like north of 30, you know, there's a ton of them in Malax. But what happened was, is uh, the smallmouth. It's a, it's a really clear glacial lake with um, zebra mussels. So yeah. uh, walleye has Malax has a, a ton of zebra mussels, which are an invasive species. But one of the advantages of zebra mussels is they're filters. So Malax yeah. has an amazing water clarity for how big of a lake it is. So um, when you have a really clear, rocky lake, smallmouth flourish. Like that smallmouth bass love clear, rocky lakes. And so the smallmouth populations in Lax are getting ridiculously big. Like I'm talking like the size of fish. So if you want to catch a smallmouth, so like a smallmouth bass, um, anything over four pounds is considered like a monster, right? Yeah. Lax, you can catch five pounders to six pounders and the occasional seven pounder comes out of Mille so every year or two someone catches a seven pounder so I got two questions we're getting off topic and this I want to be no I want it to be off topic because I got a bunch of questions now I got two of them and I have done this with coal barns I think they're awesome but like first of all I'll just say do you eat any bass you catch at all or not um I haven't I haven't kept and ate a bass in probably seven or eight years oh really okay the last one I caught and ate, I was out in pier fishing. And I mean, this was, so this shows you how long ago, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, this had to be 10 years. I mean, Ethan was, you know, but we kind of shore launched it right away. It was epic. Everybody loved it and that stuff. And I've heard a lot of it, like, you don't see a lot of them, it feels like, through the ice. I don't know. Maybe I miss it. But, like, I've heard the colder they are, anything before June, they're amazing. I thought it was amazing. So I hear a lot of people talk shit yeah. about ba- eating bass and that's fine and some people well it's a sport fish i don't care i was just wondering if you have i've had it and i i've liked it but i wanted to get your take on it yeah so my take is i think people should keep bass mm-hmm. um 
I think you have to have a certain amount of calling out of any lake. Yeah. So I'll give you a perfect example. There's a lake, there's a small residential lake by my house called Crooked Lake. Mm-hmm. Crooked has had a bass restriction. It's catch and release only on this lake for probably the probably about 10, 11 years. Now, the bass in that lake are getting big. Like you can catch some quality, sizable fish. But guess what? These fish have all seen every single lure, every single basket condition. They're not that dumb of fish. So um, when you have bass that have had a comfy uh, life in a lake for a long time, they get more difficult to catch. Uh, They get conditioned to certain types of baits. um, And when you're not culling and removing certain populations of those fish to allow other populations to step in, you know, you're not cycling out knowledge of, you know, the fish in that lake. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're old, they're dumb, and they're smart. I'm sorry, they're, they're old, they're fat, and they're smart. And they just sit around. They're so, like us. Yes. So, so anyway. I've gone out in that lake, and four or five years ago, I could throw a frog around and catch a bunch of fish. And now if I go to throw a frog around, I might not get a bite. Like, they're just like, oh, another plastic frog. Seen that yeah. Uh, and, you know, so... Um, my point is, I think culling and eating largemouth out of lakes is good. I also think eating and culling other species out of lakes is also good. Yeah. Uh, I, I personally like northern pike. I, I catch, there, there's a lake north of my house that I fish a lot that has a lot of pike. And I purposely try to go out there at least twice a year and just drag a crankbait around and catch as many pike as I can. And then keep it in flame just to like remove some, at least removing some pike out of this lake yeah. every year. And then, uh, you know, I think pike tastes great. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, um, you know, I don't keep a lot of bass. But, yes, smaller largemouth, like in that one to two pound range, are what pe- people typically would say are, are what you should keep. So keep the other thing. Fish. Go ahead. Go ahead. I got another question for you. Spurred up. But keep going. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so I pickle all my northern. Like, I'm a freak. Like, anybody, everybody's on here, save it, that they throw them back. You don't even have to clean them right because the way I pick on the Y bones, all that dissolve and that stuff. What do you do with your pike? Because I'll be honest, I am a freak for Northerns too. The only thing I'm terrible at is cleaning them. I have no problem admitting it. I have, I'm one of those guys where everybody goes, oh, it's not that hard. And then you'll see me doing it. And it's like watching a kid try and color and stain the lines. It's terrible. Yeah. About, about four or five years ago, I learned how to do the, the, to break a northern down into five fillets. Yeah. So you do like a back strap, yeah. and then two tail straps, and then side straps. So like you take that back strap off, and then once you got the back off, you can go down to the, you can go down around the Y bones, uh, around the sides. So it's almost so, like a deer breakdown, huh? Right. And so huh. I can, I'll send you a video on how to do it. It's pretty easy. And then once you get this method down, it, it breaks up into five fillets, and it's like 98% boneless. Like unless you miss a few of the Ys, yeah. you know, the, smaller ones are harder to detect but um yeah breaking down the is once you kind of get the hang of this system is pretty straightforward um i personally just love doing fries like yeah fries. one of the tricks that i learned is uh when you've when you've gotten your fillets you take the fillets and you throw them in a plastic bag with frank's red hot and just let them marinate with some frank's i've heard someone say something about oh, that so oh is this guy had i other my podcast i'm obsessed about that i'm gonna do a podcast about podcasts that i like but tundra talk they were talking about they were doing um oh my gosh was it lake trout fish fries or grayling fish fries and they were marinating their stuff in frank's too it, 
it, so it works with any fish fillet. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do it with some halibut you got in a freezer. It doesn't mm. matter. So um, the, the nice thing about marinating fish fillets in Frank's is it doesn't make it spicy because that it depends on how long you marinate it, but you just throw it in the bag, throw some Frank's, and then you'd go through your regular frying process. And it just gives it a little kick. Like it's not, it's not like if you have someone who isn't into spicy food, it's yeah. not gonna like burn their mouth. It's not like it that much Frank's gets absorbed into the fish, but it does it does give it a little punch. Do you uh, make your own shore lunch, or do you buy like shore lunch or somebody else's brand, or do you make your you have your uh, own thing? I'm not that picky, so I'll, sometimes I'll make it with Panko. Yeah, and do my own if I have the time. But mm-hmm. you know, if I'm off. If I'm at the camper, I'll just keep a couple boxes of shore lunch. <laughs> Dude, it's keep a couple boxes of shore lunch in the, in the camper at all times. Yeah, absolutely. I keep, my, like you said, in the house here, I've got them. I do. I use shore lunch on my fish. I use shore lunch. Honestly, I make turkey exactly. nuggets for the kids. They, they think it's amazing. They're like, it's wild turkey. You cube it up and that. So I always love talking recipes too. So we got a little sidebar there, but that's good. Um, my other question was that I had sketched on that's not part of this and I'll have to go here in about 15 minutes to get Quincy from dance. But what you said, like, you're five, six, seven, five, like, what uh, on both small mouth and large mouth, how big do they should they be for, like, for you to put them on the wall? Or do you never even think about putting one on oh, the wall? I don't no, know. No, I would never, I would never mount a fish. Okay. If I caught a trophy, I would just do a replica. Well, that's what a lot of people do nowadays. Okay. The replica, yeah, making replicas of fish is way more common now. I think the actual, like, most of the guys who do mounts have the fish had, you know, either got stressed out, yeah. got, you know, got, for, you know, tongue hooked or gill hooked or, you know, if the fish is not going to survive, then people will mount them. But most people, because everyone's got digital cameras in their pocket yeah. now, most people just do a, you know, a bump board, a couple of measurements, take pictures of both sides, and then you can send that to a really good replica, replica person, and they'll make a mount that looks. Yeah, there's small. a. I got some buddies that do it. They love it too, because it goes back in there, and you get your photo. And honestly, they last longer because you see some of them. I should probably word it different. What's what's a, a even replica? What's the size? I don't know oh, what yeah. a big bass okay, is. Okay, so well, it depends on where you live. So okay. Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. Our bass are sort of stunted. Like we have what's called northern strain largemouth up here, so the stu- the the strain of largemouth bass we have in this area is different than yeah. the bass they have down in like Texas and Florida. Yeah. Uh, in those states, uh, those states use a different breed genetics of bass. They call them they're called Florida strain bass, and those bass can get you know into the double digits up to you know trophies. You know, I think the some of the records down there, you know, we're talking 14 to 16 pounds. God, for fish. insane. Now, but Minnesota, uh, our state record is, I think, 8 pounds? 9? pounds something. Yeah, no, no we don't, there's never been a 9-pounder in oh. Minnesota. So I would say most guys around our area and our neck of the woods, they would target a trophy fish at being in that 6-pound class. For both so, large and small or different, does it matter which one? Well, okay, so largemouth, I would say, like, North, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, a six-pound largemouth is like a trophy. Okay. Those guys might catch one or two six-pounders in their life, right? So, um, five-pound fish are also, like, what, really good. I maybe might catch one five-pounder a year, maybe. Some, I've gotten years where I haven't caught five. Uh, so, a six is, like, the goal. Like, if you can get a six, that's that's a big fish in this area. Um, smallmouth is different. Like river smallmouth, because smallmouth are native to like the Mississippi, St. Croix, a lot of river systems. Uh, river smallmouth, a 
big river smallmouth would be about five pounds. I don't think you're going to get very often a six pound class smallmouth out of a river. They um, talk a lot about that out here with our rivers and walleyes being, I'll just call it skinnier. Is that because they're working with current? Is that, is that a real thing? I don't know enough about it. Um, yeah, that's mostly that they're, they're a harder working fish. Okay. <laughs> they got to fight for their meals. You know, they got to deal with current. They got to deal, they, you know, they don't have as cushy of a life as uh, say a smallmouth bass on Mille Lacs. I got right? you. Um, so uh, Mille Lacs is different because um, if you were going to, I think a, a true trophy smallmouth will come out of Mille Lacs uh, once a year, which is like that seven-pound class fish. Yeah. Um, and they and that's just mostly because Mille Lacs has uh, people are very protective about the smallmouth in that lake. A lot of people don't keep them, so they allow those fish to get old. Yeah. Uh, smallmouth growth cycles are really slow, so if you you have to look up on the internet there's charts. I, I, a five six pound smallmouth might be in excess of twenty years old. Really? That's a, real, that's a really old fish. Yeah, they have really long lives, and it takes them a while to get that big. So when you're when you're catching like a five six pound class fish, you're you're catching a fish that's probably you know it's like a teenager. <laughs> you know, like having that 17, 18, 19 year old lifespan. It's wow. crazy. That's cool. That's cool, man. I did not know that. Yeah, so that's why a lot of people say protect big smallmouth because it takes those fish so long to get to that size. Um, but, you know, I think the, yeah, so smallmouth do do run smaller. So um, smallmouth bass, uh, a trophy might be a five-pound class fish for you. You know, you, a lot of people might mount like a five-pound. I don't think pound, people realize how big a five-pound fish is, though. You know, like, I'll go ice fishing, I'll catch up four pound walleye coming through the ice you know which is what they call 20 what i can't remember i'm like oh it's the biggest fish of my life you know i can't imagine you know a five pound fighter like that too you know or the fight i mean because pound for pound i don't know much about them but all i know is the ones that i have caught are bananas to fight with yeah smallmouth are way more aggressive they're largemouth are pretty well the thing is largemouth are ambush predators right they like to hide and relate to cover and then wait for food to come by and then they eat it right they're ambush oriented um smallmouth are wolf packs they like to roam around and they're way more aggressive and they're visual so like smallmouth like to they'll hang out in big groups and they'll hang out on rock piles and they'll hang out on sandbars they'll hang out on drop-offs you know they don't feel like they need to hide behind a dock or hide behind some grass to feed like a largemouth does, and because of that, smallmouth are very visual. Um, they like to see and track baits. So a lot of guys, when they fish smallmouth, they're throwing really bright colors, yeah, um, and they're throwing loud, noisy things that will attract fish and bring them in. Because smallmouth will see a bait a long ways away, and then they'll travel to to check it out. They're very curious. So that this this is like I this is the best again. I'm gonna say because we're following agenda, but not because it's segue. So like. <laughs> On the technique side, you brought up that. So, if you're, uh, what would you use to target a largemouth bass? Uh, well, that depends on the style of fishing you like to do, what equipment okay. you have, and what time of the year you're in. Oh, um, okay. I'd say the best starting. So, the best starting things I think I think for largemouth fishermen, the, the, some of the best ways to start is you know most guys have spinning rods, right? So, spinning rods mean you're using lighter line, which mm-hmm. eliminates a lot of types of bass tackle. Um, so like a lot of guys like to throw like heavy jigs, heavy Texas rigs, um, you know, things that require, that have like 
thicker gauge wire hooks. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff on lighter line isn't going to work. So like if you try and set the hook on a fish and you're using a big thick heavy gauge hook, but then you're using like six pound line, you're, that's going to snap. You're not you know you're not putting up. You don't have enough power behind. Uh, in your gear to handle that kind of tackle. Are you usually so, pulling bait cast reels and heavier lines? They're my favorite. I've always loved fishing yeah. bait cast no matter what. So so most people cycle through bass fishing is they start out with a spinning rod yeah, because um, that's what they already have laying around. And there's a lot of techniques you can do on a spinning rod that will catch you a lot of bass. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say one of the most common ones is you know throwing spinner baits. That's an easy one. Uh, a lot of guys throw, so I don't know if you got my king camera, but if you ever see these green packages at like Walmart, Dick Sporting Goods, uh, Academy, Cabela's, Bass Pro, this is what's called a Yamamoto Senko. This is like the basic 101 bait that'll work anywhere in the country on any largemouth on earth, and it works on smallmouth as well. And this is what's called a stick worm. So this is, this is what's called a stick bait. So do, can you see this? I got my camera off for bandwidth, but oh, keep going. Okay. So it's a stick worm, and you can throw the stick worm on, like you can just rig it like sideways. If you rig it sideways, it's called a wacky worm. Or you can rig it straight on, a, on what's called an offset hook, and then that's called a Texas rig. And so I think a lot of the entry point with bass tackle is, um, you know, there's hard baits. You can throw crank baits, jerk baits. Uh, on spinning tackle, you know, you got your spinner baits, um, and then you can start diving into plastics, which I'd say one of the most uh, entry point is like using some kind of stick bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, there's a thing called a Senko, and Senkos you can pretty much pick up at any store. Any store that sells bass tackle has a Senko on the on the shelf, probably. Um, the guy who invented them, Gary Yamamoto, is a very wealthy man. <laughs> he has a he has a giant ranch down in Texas, uh, based off of everybody using his stick baits. Um, <laughs> No, I'm not joking. He's got a private. He's got a private, like ranch with multiple private lakes and wagyu beef and all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's Sounds all like a tough life. His at <laughs> well, I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm, I had to Google it. So you're up at Spooner, as he knows. I know Diane's like you should see him, and Diane has no boundaries. That's my mom, by the way. But like my <laughs> uncle Woody and Aunt Sharon, they've got a place on McKinley Lake, uh, up by Spooner. Place. Uh, used to be probably Apparel Lakes Lodge, which is personally closed or permanently closed, so that's why I did. But I went up there, and we this was I was in graduate school. Is forties, uh, he's eighty now, so it was I think his sixtieth birthday or whatever it was. So it was a long time ago. Um, but I went up there, and we had a fish fry. We caught a ton of crappies and that stuff. But we this is you know early two thousands, and of course I was a broke college kid just using what I had in that. But we were throwing so many top water poppers out there and catching bass off that lake and like you said it's a different animal i don't know what it is about minnesota versus wisconsin and it's a it's a uh, you know testament to wisconsin all the packers suck and we hate the badgers but that's that's neither here nor there uh but like you're exactly right well i like there's i primitive access on mckinley it's all cabins around it but there is primitive access but people i'm just be honest like people are lazy no one wants to drag their canoe and go fishing these places that have super low pressure you know like you said oh, yeah. you know, dumber fish if you will and things like oh, that yeah. But, just seen these baits, yeah. yeah and we would sit and rip on them and we were just kids in this little crappy old pontoon matt and i just catching fish and it was a blast i mean an absolute blast up there in that but that's the only real bass fishing i've ever specifically done was throwing them at lily pads and catching fish uh, is that weird how you look back on that and you don't realize how good you have it like you go oh i had no clue 
I, I mean, I could go up there now, and I'm sure, you know, it, 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 although it's probably the same, but it will never be the same. You know what I mean? You're yeah. young. Well, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, no, 100% I get it. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of it is pressure. If, you know, it's a lot of it is, if the, you know, because you go to certain lakes and certain areas, especially up in this area in the Midwest where bass is not the primary target species. Mostly go people go for walleye, people go for yeah. panfish, people go for pike. So a lot of the bass just don't get... Uh, the same, they'll get hammered on like they do in the South. I mean, you, here's the thing though: if you go down to like states like Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, they all they do is bass fishing. I know. Bass and crop, it's bass and crappie. Crappie rules, bass rule. That's the only thing people fish for. Uh, you know, it's like it's all their industry and like uh, you know their tackle shops. Everything's geared for crappie and bass. And that's then, crazy. You know, you come up to the northern states and you know bass fishing is like fourth <laughs> on the list. <laughs> Well, I've ran a little bit late and time is flying. And again, I got Quincy by six and that. So I want to make sure I do one other thing. I always want to ask you this specifically because you brought up some of that thing. And I don't know if it's like those peacock bass or anything like that. What's your dream trip? What's your dream you know, fishing trip? Most people from the Midwest, they think about going two directions, up into Canada or down south into like Texas. <laughs> so, you know, Texas is like a mecca for bass fishing. You know, some of those lakes down there, like Lake Fork, um, like Travis, they, they have some of the biggest, baddest bass in the world. Mm -hmm. and so a lot of bass fishermen kind of pine to like, oh, I want to go down there during spawn, like when bass are up spawning and you can go target them on beds and find like big fish. Yeah. So I think that would be one. But also, um, you know, I'm actually really thinking about taking Cole, my son, and my dad into a flying trip in the next couple of oh, cool. months. Cole gets a little older. I want to do one of those puddle jumper yeah. trips up into like way northern, I don't know, maybe like Ontario or Manitoba to like one of those really remote lakes where, you know, you gotta, you gotta puddle jump in and they just have tin boats and you gotta bring all your tackle. Yeah. And, you know, it's like untouched walleye and smallmouth fishing for days. That's, that's kind of my dream thing. I think I want to do that in, maybe in the next three years. My buddy Tom did it and he goes after like, I, he goes, we counted, he goes after a hundred fish, you're like, I'm going to take a break and you know, they go. You know, you can drive back to the the. They had it was one of those flying things, but they had multiple cabins and a cook and that. But I mean, there's only they can only fit six people at a time there. You know, you're like, I'm gonna right. go back and grab dinner and a beer. I've got carpal tunnel and tennis elbow from catching too many fish. Ethan and I wow. this next year, we're we're. I mean, I think it. He's like, I'm in. We're gonna go try whitefish uh, up on Green Bay and the ice. So. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, there's there's so many there's so many different types of fish you can target in Green Bay. You know, they got you know brown trouts and you yeah. know, there's Cisco and I mean, well, maybe not Cisco, but oh, coho. I was thinking about coho. Oh yeah. So there's like yeah. So I mean yeah, you go to Green Bay during ice season and you get one of the guides out there to take you out. I mean, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Yeah, you'll catch you'll get you'll hook into like a you know a brown trout that's the size of Ethan. Yeah, and that's like the thing where like that JJ's, I um, mean, he's taking, you know, like the ex-president's son out and all that good stuff. And I think we're going out with him and it's so much, you know, it's like you're fishing in 80, 90, 70 feet of water that like they say, we just take care of the gear too, which that's fine. I mean, I've got stuff built for like the woods, that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know anything about it. So we're going to go about that. It's really reasonable. We're just going to get a hotel in Green Bay and that and just go out, you know, drive up on Friday, fish Saturday, Sunday, and come home. And you can keep, I think, 10, 10 a person. And I like smoke fish. They're supposed to be great to smoke, so we're going to give that a go. So I got well, six. Go ahead. If you end up scheduling that, let me know. I will do that. I will do that. We're doing. It's next year. We're Actually, we're looking at, like, I don't know, the President's Day or some spring break or whatever it is. So I'll make sure I let you know. 
So I hate to cut this off because this is one I feel like could go like four hours and I would like it to. I won't lie. We got to reschedule one and get through. I, we might do a nice fishing specific one because you, I'll tell you, are just better fishermen than most people I know. On the closing comments, I always like to offer it because somebody has some kind of thing where they just say, like, I like, I always like, get your kids out hunting and fishing, that kind of stuff. But I mean, closing comments that you have for anybody with respect to, I'm going to call it any fishing because you're kind of a, a jack and master of all these trades with respect to fish. Uh, I don't know. I mean, nowadays, you know, what do, what do you want to know? Like, Zay, this is your closing comment. I just shut up now. <laughs> uh, closing comment. So I do, um, you know, I'm trying to make content myself. I actually, my oh, YouTube cool. channel is starting to do pretty well. Uh, so you can look me up on YouTube, Punch Fishing. Uh, well, hold on. I got to get it because I've got, I, 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 this is my little brag, my little humble Podbean account, not including my Spotify and all this stuff. I got like 1,700 people that download this thing. So I'll awesome. get you. It's Punch Fishing on YouTube. Yeah, just one word, punch fishing. I actually, so I do gear reviews. So if you're into like bass okay. tackle and bass fishing rods and reels, that kind of stuff, I kind of do a lot of just stuff out of my basement where I, I talk a lot about equipment and gear and tackle and stuff like that. So it's kind of more like equipment focused just because yeah. that's what I'm into. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess it's like get out there, try things. Uh, bass fishing is so – getting into bass fishing now is so easy. You can go and look up all these techniques and videos. I mean the, the barrier to entry is so low nowadays. I mean the quality gear – one of the things that I always like am shocked by is how good a gear you can get for low money right now. Really? Like you can go – for 100 bucks. you can get a, an amazing – like you can go out and buy a fishing rod for 100 bucks that I could have only dreamed of when I was like 14 and buying yeah. that kind of a like, Stuff is so light and built so well and, and – so much stuff is like technique specific now. You don't just get one style rod and have to throw a ton of baits on it. You can get a different kind of rod for every bait you throw. You know, huh. you can have 15 rods if you want that all do one different thing. Um, so I'm just saying, like the, the barrier to entry in this hobby is so low right now with with YouTube and the internet and such quality gear for low prices. It's like there's really no reason not to get out, just unless you don't live by any lakes. <laughs> Some people are geographically challenged and don't have access to great fishing but you know if you, if you got lakes in the neighborhood i mean it's a good time to just start getting into this kind this of is thing. like the first time i interrupted a closing comment wanted to ask one more thing just like you talked about opportunity so i want to give everybody an opportunity in case maybe they were thinking this you just brought up fishing boat do you fish much from shore or take that opportunity um, yes i like okay. fishing from the shore on the river I don't, okay. I don't like taking my foot on a river, but we have some rivers around the Minneapolis and Twin Cities area that you can do some really great shore fishing. So, okay. um, you know, I don't like shore fishing. I, you know, I, I grew up doing it like up in my grandpa's cabin on the shore and stuff like that. So, uh, but no, I prefer, much prefer to be on a boat. <laughs> yeah. I really like my bass boat because I can have essentially a floating tackle store in my yeah. boat at all times. Yeah. That's, that's like the number one reason I like having my boat is just having any gear that I'm sitting under my feet in my lockers. You know what I mean? I just yeah. love having... Not having to think about what I'm bringing, I just bring everything, and then whatever I need is probably in the boat somewhere. There you go. Well, you're here, my wonderful daughter, Navy, finish her 12th after school snack of the day, <laughs> clanking dishes. But I better go, Quincy. Thanks, brother. I will set up another one. I'm serious. Where we're just going to talk ice yeah. fishing then. But thank you for your time, man. Have a good one. All right. Yeah. Take it easy. You bet, bye.